Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. I begin by acknowledging that we broadcast on stolen land here at Triple R, the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to you if you're a First Nations person tuning in this afternoon. It always was and always will be. Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, I'm going to be joined by local artist, writer and mental health recovery advocate Heidi Everett uh, to speak all about her first book called My Friend Fox. It is part memoir, part parable, and it traces her life both during and after her experience within Australia's mental health care system. Uh, It's full of beautiful line drawings and it really highlights the ways in which some of our healthcare systems often fail those that are in need of healthcare. And it's, yeah, drawn together by this metaphor of a fox, which we'll be talking a little bit about, I imagine, in uh, not too long at all. Uh, I just want to give a little content warning for this next interview. We will be discussing themes of mental illness and potentially self-harm. So if that's something that uh, you're not able to do today, that's totally okay. Um, And just to let you know, Lifeline is always available to call 24 hours, seven days a week um, on 13, 11, 14 from anywhere in Australia. There are many unwritten rules in any institution, These are far more consequential than the operational rules inflicted by boring old protocol. There are no guidelines on the wall about etiquette around other patients or how to navigate the empty routine of the day. No nurse reads out your rights or tells you breakfast is at 8, lunch is at 12, dinner is at 5. No doctor says you will leave the ward when you tolerate the medication agreeably. You just absorb these things through osmosis. That is an ex- excerpt there of Heidi Everett's new book called My Friend Fox, uh, speaking about her experience in a psychiatric hospital. It's part memoir, part parable, and this book details Heidi's experience attempting to access care through the Australian medical system and examines a life through experiences of uh, mental illness, through relationships to animals and the importance of creativity in healing. Heidi Everett joins me on the line now. Heidi, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Hi, and thank you so much for having me in your space. And I absolutely love that content advice at the start. The best I've heard. <laughs> That's great to hear. <laughs> um, Heidi, it's a, it's a real joy and honour to speak with you about this book. You know, the book opens with a letter to your reader, which seems like a good place to kind of situate this conversation. Can you speak a little bit about your choice to open the book with a direct address to your readers? Yeah, so I feel that my story is not at all unique. Um, It's just uh, lucky enough to be picked up by a publisher. So it is about psych wards and the psych system. And one thing that uh, a lot of us agree on is that the psych system is is equally traumatising as the experiences that that kind of get us there. 
Um, and there's, you know, if you're on social media these days, anybody posting a post about mental health themes, we always say CW, which is content warning. And so it was just, it was just normal to put that little content warning at the start of the book, just like you've just done with our conversation today. Mm. In many ways, I think that address you know, to the reader, it offers a small act of care, um, something that I think at many times throughout your life through reading your book, um, it seems that you, you weren't necessarily afforded. You know, this book begins by introducing this metaphor um, of the fox, which is something that kind of weaves throughout the book. I'm interested, can you speak to that idea um, of the fox and I suppose why it was an important metaphor for you to, to drive this story? There are so many hidden metaphors with the fox. <laughs> so, and it's kind of a bit like, um, you know, when you're playing a computer game and you're looking for Easter eggs, it's a little bit like that when you read the book. You kind of see the little clues about fox all the way through the book. But I think the main one is that he was a metaphor for schizophrenia and we – treat schizophrenia like it needs to be fixed and cured and eradicated um you know and there is you know intolerable suffering with schizophrenia in any mental health reality but there's also really good things about it too so the creativity the vision you know that 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 feeling of connectedness to nature and and the world beyond this world i find that really fascinating and i think so instead of just fixing schizophrenia or fixing mental illness I think we kind of also need to understand and see the I don't know the kind of myth myth and legend and law behind it mm. yeah I think it's so interesting that you're saying that you know I think this is something that I've I've perhaps heard you speak about at certain points but you're kind of talking about I suppose the difference here between the medical model um, of illness and disability versus the social model, um, so kind of the medical model being that it uses words like, you know, cure, it's something to kind of fix as opposed to something that, you know, the world um, puts back on you by the fact that it's not accessible to you in certain ways. Can you speak to that idea and I suppose how that fits with your thinking um, about, yeah, your, your mental health? Oh, you're speaking my language. <laughs> so, you know, if, for anyone not already onto this, the medical med model of disability is putting the blame and the recovery on the person and it's, you know, it's your fault you can't walk up a step or can't see the, the signs you know so but the social model kind of moves on from that or builds on from that and says actually it's not your fault there's a step there or it's not your fault that there's no braille available and no Auslan interpreter available but with mental illness we're still looking at the medical model we're still looking at the person and putting the person in a psych ward and saying fix yourself Here, here's the here's the tools to fix yourself and fit into society and I find that really curious that we're still talking about mental illness like an illness. Mm. Yeah, I think you're so right. And I think it's something that you kind of thread throughout this book is, yeah, looking at different ways that we can think about um, mental health and I suppose in a way change the language that we use in order to be able to access the care that we need. 
you know, Heidi, you speak about, as you said, you know, what it is like to, well, your experience um, existing within certain psychiatric wards, you know, in your words, you, you kind of describe um, perhaps when you've been medicated as this chemical straitjacket and I suppose the ways in which um, you've been, the, the state that you've been in whilst you've kind of been trying to access this kind of, of care, I, I suppose I'm interested in um, this book and perhaps the motivation to, to write this book. Do you feel like in a way um, being able to kind of document your experience of existing in these places um, was a motivator to, to, to kind of share what, what it's like in those places? Is that, is that, was that a motivator to create this book? Absolutely. I, <laughs> there's one thing if you're in a psych ward, you're, you're considered an unreliable witness to your own stories. And if you speak your stories of trauma, you, you get medicated for them and all your stories go into a medical file. And I find that when I was writing this, I actually started out as a songwriter. So I did music. I did live music for about 15 years around Melbourne. And I found that speaking my so, well, singing my songs about exactly the themes in this book and then talking between songs, it kind of gave me that healing that medication doesn't really open up and it was a shared healing. So a lot of times there'd be people in the room that, you know, were relating exactly to what I was saying. So I find that if you write a book or write a song or perform a drama piece, you're actually taking back those stories, those pages in your file mm. and you become in charge of them again. And I feel that when I'm in the psych system telling my stories, I'm getting medicated. But if I tell those stories in the arts, I'm getting celebrated. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, that's quite telling, isn't it? I, I, I really like how you explore this link between, I suppose, you know, mental health and creativity and the, and the therapeutic effects that um, making and creating art has on on healing and, and I suppose processing and, as you said, kind of a way to control your narrative in a way to be able to document your experience and truth and, and your story. Um, Heidi, a big part of this book um, as, on top of your writing is your illustrations that I know that you've done. They're um, these beautiful line drawings. I'm, I'm very interested in, I suppose, your visual art practice and how you see that um, relating to your written practice and, and yeah, what, kind of what went into the thinking behind um, behind it when you were putting this book together. Uh, I did illustration. I studied illustration um, for a little while and it just taught me that stories don't need to be told in linear patterns. They can also be told spatially. So illustrations to me... They are words that they're, they're equally as powerful as, as the words on the page. And they're actually my photographs of really hypersensory situations that I thought, well, I can't take a photo of what I'm going through. I can't take a photo of this wild fox outside a surf club in the middle of winter in the middle of nowhere. But I can lock it away in an image and mm. then I can kind of process it and develop it later onto paper through a black fine liner pen. So... I really carried these images around from the psych ward and the streets and just, I don't know, I just felt like this book was the the time that I got to develop the, the prints <laughs> mm. and finally put them in an album. 
I, I love that idea of um, your illustrations being another language in order to be able to capture your experience. I think something that I think comes up a few times throughout your story is your ability to, I suppose, learn the language of different situations, you know, learn the language of what it means to speak to doctors within a psychiatric ward, what it means to, um, you know, if you're sleeping rough, what it means to to, to kind of create friends and relationships um, in that environment. And I suppose the importance of morphing and adapting to the language of your certain situations. Can you speak to that idea and, and perhaps how that comes through throughout your book? I really pick up different languages really. I'm, I, I kind of observe the space that I'm in and I know that to survive I've got to learn to speak the words or move the moods of the people around me. And I think anybody on the streets or in, in psych wards or anything like that, you kind of – do you kind of morph into the space that you're in to survive if you stand out you're asking for trouble and so learning psychiatrian is is exactly the same to me as learning you know Auslan it's it's <laughs> you've got to do it to, to to help yourself and help the people around you and I find that you know it's it, it kind of frustrates me that my psychiatrist can't play music on a guitar and yet I have to speak their language to talk to them. And I think that so much emphasis is placed on spoken word in mental health treatment. You've got to tell people how you feel and you've got to tell people what's going on. But I think we can put a lot more emphasis on non-verbal languages such as music and illustration and dance and performance. There's this lovely... Um, movement that's starting to happen called walk and talk therapy and it's just walking around nature and just having a bit of a yak and I find that really really appealing mm. <laughs> because a lot of my time I spend walking around nature just thinking language with the trees and the sky and the wind and I've always done that mm. so I find it quite um, peculiar to have to speak my mental health feelings and emotions in, in words. It makes so much sense, um, Heidi. If you have just joined us, we are speaking with Heidi Everett all about her book called My Friend Fox. I think, yeah, what you're saying is so true and I am very interested in, I suppose, notions of how we, we can access care and also how we can provide care and thinking about that, I suppose, more laterally, which is what you're saying. And perhaps that's something that you were missing or you needed, or, and I think a lot of people need um, when trying to access kind of medical care. Um, I, I suppose I'd love to talk a little bit about um, the, the ward itself. I think you paint a very um, kind of stark picture of, of your experience being inside a psych ward you know you kind of the things that you are attend to are like looking at the ticking clock or um you know thinking about your clean pillow you talk about your bed as a coffin it, it feels you know this quite sterile lifeless place in in many ways can you speak about um yeah what it meant for you to kind of write that experience and, and write that place Mm, I, I just, I've got to honour that part of my story that um, the psych system gets out of a lot, gets away with a lot, um, and I want that to change. I feel that it has a responsibility and we need to ask it to acknowledge um, 
the spaces and the protocols and the systems that it puts on people. So I feel that this book kind of hopefully kind of puts a bit of a camera in those spaces. I didn't want my book to be about schizophrenia and depression and recovery. That's absolutely not what I wanted this book to be about. I don't want people to read this book and go, oh, that's the symptoms of schizophrenia. That's that's the symptoms of, nah. If you want that story, go and open a textbook. My book is about the psych system and its role in my my existence and my experience. So I want to paint a very clear picture of those spaces, as much as the street, as much as, you know, my home when I am unwell. The psych system has a very major part in that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... I mean, it's. I think it's a place that a lot of people don't know intimately and I think that it is very important to kind of, as you said, like bring a camera in those places and, and to really portray what that reality is like. And in many ways, to be frank, it, it doesn't sound good. The, the, the care that we're meant to be afforded when we're in need of care um, in many ways doesn't feel like it's it's there. As you said, perhaps it's not um, in the way in which it might be the best for the person that that is needing care at that time. I'm I'm interested in this kind of, you know, psych ward dilemma. In your in your experience and opinion, what would um what could good care look like? I'll get outside. <laughs> you know, get around the arts. Um, I, I would love the uh, governments to stop talking about funding more beds and more staff security and more um, post-prevention of, of suicide, it's just ridiculous, um, and start funding local arts and culture spaces and start bringing elders and leaders on, on television and in the newspaper and on the radio, speaking the language of people, not the language of the medical model system. And I feel that psych wards do have a role in keeping people alive and keep, keeping people breathing and, and getting us settled mentally but they also open up a, a dilemma in the fact that <laughs> when you walk out that door, you are walking exactly back to what you left six or eight weeks before and there's still no, you know, fix for that. Mm-hmm. And that, that fix comes from the arts, it comes from storytelling, it comes from music, it comes from dance, it comes from nature, it comes from dogs. <laughs> yes, oh, my gosh. I really want to talk to you about that because... <laughs> I think I really relate to what you're saying and I think it makes so much sense to, um, you know, to look to nature, to look to animals, to look to art as not only therapy but as a way of living and a way of understanding each other that is, as you said, perhaps outside of this very medicalised language. Um, You know, a big uh, character, if you will, throughout your story is is Tigger, your dog. Um, You know, in many places you kind of talk about how he – understood you better than a lot of other people and um you know having a a dog myself I can very much relate to that there is something so effortless about the ways in which you can kind of communicate with animals because it is a very different form of communication it's a different form of love it's a different form of care and nurturing and just you know kind of existing with one another I'd love if you can kind of talk about your relationship with um, with your dog, but I suppose with animals as well and how that has um, provided uh, you care throughout your journey. Well, it all comes back to that nonverbal communication. When you're with an animal, you can't 
you know, you have keywords and things that you, you use as a human, but the biggest language between animals and humans is, is non-spoken. You know, it cuts through the crap. <laughs> <laughs> and I find that Tigger's love for me came at a time when I just was absolutely depleted and repleted of love. And I don't mean, you know, the lovey-dovey, kissy-kissy stuff. I mean the stuff that kicks you in the soul and just, you know, bears your insides, outsides. There's nowhere to hide love. And I find that with Tig, he just opened that for me. And, you know, I had to, you know, the time when I got him, I couldn't even get out of bed because I was on so many antipsychotics, you know, just un unmovable. But over the years, he he grabbed me and got me out of bed and we had to go for a walk around the block and then that walk became a walk around the park and then that became a walk around the neighbourhood and took me into TAFE and to music groups and all this other stuff and that would not have happened had Tigger not been there. Mm. You know, yeah. It is. It's such a beautiful relationship and I think, yeah, it is just so telling that if we um, – prioritize these relationships that, that, that of course there is so much goodness to come from them um Heidi I, I love the mention that you've kind of you've mentioned throughout this interview about um the role of music in your life I know that um art therapy is very important has been very important to you and I think it's very important to a lot of people whether they um think about it in that way or not can you speak a little bit about the role that music in particular has played throughout your healing and, and I suppose just in your life more generally? Oh, okay. This is a bit like asking about the fox. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't do therapy. I don't do art therapy. It's not my style. Um, it's either art or it's not. Um, but I, I absolutely respect the art therapists and the art therapy in the world because I know it works for people. Um, it's just not my style. So music came to me, funnily enough, um, as an auditory hallucination. So in my late teens and 20s, I used to hear music. So other people with schizophrenia would hear voices. I'd hear opera singers and orchestras and crooners and jazz singers and country singers. And I even had a Spanish singer. I had no idea what he was saying, but it was um, interesting. And I thought, how on earth can I get this radio station out of my head and into the world. So I taught myself um, classical Spanish guitar um, and just taught myself, taught myself, you know, taught myself how to write music, how to read music and how to play music. And then it kind of cured the auditory hallucinations because I absolutely just ran through everything I was hearing and put it on paper and composed the music that I was hearing. Um, and then the worst thing happened, I started to write songs to sing. <laughs> and that kind of um, cured me of all that classical music that I was hearing and composing and playing. Um, so then I wrote songs for about, you know, 10, 15 years and performed them all around the place. And those songs became the lyrics for the book. So it's all, it all feeds into each other. Mm. It's really amazing, I suppose, the interplay between your art practices and kind of as you're saying that there's perhaps no beginning or end to your writing and your your illustration and your kind of music playing, which I think is really, you know, speaks to being a true artist, I think. Uh, you know, I, d I did want to ask, you know, writing a book like this, 
I can only imagine that it is quite um, close to the bone when you are letting people into these parts of your life. What has it been like for you to have this book out into the world and, and have people read it? Well, I did public speaking for such a long time and, and being a performer and, and speaking my, my story to counsellors for, for decades. This book was the easy part. It was kind of collating all those moments where, I, where I'd spoken and performed and sang and moved, mm. collated it into one big folio, um, which makes it easier for me. <laughs> um yeah, and I think I started putting this book together as a series of essays back in 2003. That's when I received the Writers Victoria um, Writability Mentorship with an author called Lyndall Caffrey. Mm. And that was just the incredible, you know, starting point to, to getting a book together. So I, I owe a debt to Lyndall for just pulling me through my apprenticeship of being an author. Um, but, yeah, having a book with a, you know, that I can close and carry around, it's the easy part. Mm. I imagine it must feel, just feel good to be able to have this. It's a beautiful object as well. Um, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful a book, looking book as well as, um, you know, being a, being a wonderful read. Um, Heidi, just before I let you go, I know that, um, you know, this book is part of your work that you do. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, uh, Skits Inc, I believe it's called, and your your work that you do there with, um, I suppose, members of the larger community. Yeah, you can tell who said the word schizophrenia before and who hasn't. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, um, so Skitsy Inc is a collective of um, diverse creatives with, with mental health lived experience and we advocate access through the arts and, and ownership and empowerment and personal development through the arts. Um, I think we currently run the only World Schizophrenia Day event in Melbourne, which is um, Mojo Film Festival. Look out for that. Next year I think it's going to be Mojo Festival of Performing Arts with a little bit of film. But, um, you know, we kind of just find a way for, pe- for people with schizophrenia and, and similar realities to just do what I've done, mm. claim back their story and own it and be celebrated for it. And, absolutely. and get in the arts. Mm, absolutely. I, I imagine that, um, yeah, everybody's very proud of you and, and um, yeah, you're doing this for so many different people. Um, Heidi, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been really wonderful to talk to you about your book. Thank you so much. And just back announcing the Wurundjeri country, which I'm on. That is Heidi Everett there speaking all about her new book. It is called My Friend Fox. It is out now through Ultimo Press. It's available in all good bookstores. Uh, If you or someone you know needs support um, with mental health, you can always contact um, Beyond Blue on 1300 22 4636 or you can also contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Uh, they are available at, at any time of the day or night. You're listening to Triple R. It's almost time for me to get on out of here. I want to say a big thank you to Heidi Everett, writer, illustrator, mental health awareness advocate, for talking to me today about her brand new book. It's called My Friend Fox. And it details her experience um, of her life dealing with uh, her own mental health and going through the healthcare system here in Australia. 
It's also got some really amazing illustrations as well. That one is out through Ultimo Press. Hope you can keep it locked to Triple R. I'll be back with you next Wednesday. Till then, have yourselves a great day. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website.